Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mariner, stop it. Barb's not a Sulaban. Uh, but how do you know? She is nothing but a great human lady. You need to stop spinning out and accept people for who they are. Now be quiet. I gotta change everything about me to trick her into thinking I'm something I'm not. Computer, analyze the coolest people in Earth history and replicate me in outfits. Boys size small. Cupid's Errant Arrow. You know, the titles of these episodes of Lower Decks, I think, are some of the best titles in Star Trek. I, you know, I, I would have to agree. I'm kind of a sucker for those really long titles they had in the original series in Deep Space Nine and a little bit in Discovery as well. But uh, yeah, I'm liking the kind of irreverent titles a little bit. Like Moist Vessel last week is fun. And then, yeah, this week, Cupid's Errant Arrow is just, it's fun to say. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do like the longer titles. I think they sound more creative. That's the one thing about TNG and some DS9 and Voyager and even Enterprise. Like, just these one-word titles. Like, I just thought it was just boring. Occasionally do that, but not, like, almost all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just a little... Or maybe two words they do it occasionally, but I like the longer titles. But anyway, this is Positively Trek. We're going to be positive about Star Trek here. And I'm Bruce Gibson, one of your hosts, and with me, as he is through every Lower Decks, is Dan Gunther. How are you doing, Dan? Not too bad. Excited to be here in the Lower Decks, sleeping in the hallways, and, you know, doing all the stuff that the ensigns on the Cerritos do, so. (laughs) Excellent. So I just want to point out something to everyone, because we were talking about this before the show. You do your YouTube review of Lower Decks, and then you've been doing live shows on YouTube with Brandy Jackala, mm-hmm. which, you know, I've done some live shows with you guys, but I haven't been doing any of the Lower Decks ones. And that's, and the reason is because when we record this, which is after those things, I don't want to know what you think. So I'm going into this having no idea what you think of this episode, and you don't know what I think about this episode. That's how we go into these Lower Deck reviews. Yeah, generally speaking, uh, most weeks I have no idea how you feel about this episode and, and vice versa, like you say, yeah. Well, I planned for you to never find out what I think of this episode. We're just going to sit here and just stare at each other, and that will be the show. All right. Well, then. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Where can they find you on Twitter? (laughs) Uh, well you can, no. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into this. Cupid's errand arrow. That's the episode. It's the fifth episode in the first season of lower decks. This was unique. It was the first one. We didn't have a cold opening. Yeah, that's true. So it went straight into the opening title sequence with no cold open. I was noticing, I think the length of this one was 25 minutes as opposed to the last few, which were 24. So I'm just wondering if maybe this one went a little bit long and they kind of made the decision to to cut it down a little bit or something. That's my best guess. Oh, oh wait, that's a good point. What if there is a cold opening that got cut and it's on the cutting room floor somewhere and it'll be like a lost scene that we'll see later. 
It could be, yeah. Or, or you know, if it's one of those cold opens that uh, is not tied to what's going on in the episode at all, maybe they're just like, oh, we'll use it in this episode instead. Or this one went a little short, so we'll have two jokes or something. I have to say I was a little disappointed because as soon as I hit play and the theme song started coming on, I'm like, whoa, wait, where's the cold opening? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of used to that. Yeah, I always get a little paranoid. So, you know, I, I rewind and, and check, just double check that it didn't skip ahead or something. But uh, yeah. So there's several things going on in this episode. I've been noticing how we see a Mariner Boimler storyline, and then there's usually a Tendi Rutherford storyline. It's just I mean, always not, not last week's as much, but the others always seems like that those are the two groups. I'd like to see more of them together. Yeah, I that's one thing. Actually, the last two episodes have broken that mold. We're kind of getting back to that after having been away from doing that for a while. Uh, but you're right. That's one thing we've not seen is the four of them all together other than, you know, some brief scenes. Like they're two stories cross paths at one point in this episode in the mess hall you just kind of see them run by but other than that we don't get these characters all together i think that would be interesting to see them all play off each other in in some sort of combined story uh that's definitely something we haven't seen yet i think that'd be cool I, i'd like to see more of a adventure that involves all four of them all together not separating them out you know Mm-hmm. So Mixtus 3 is the planet they go to, and there's an unstable moon there. And so they are going there to do a controlled demolition of it, and they meet up with the USS Vancouver, and it's a Parliament-class ship. Yeah, and they focus on large-scale engineering projects. I thought it was a nice-looking ship. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, really impressive. Of course, Tendi and Rutherford are very impressed with the Vancouver. And I got to say, I, I got to put it in here. I'm loving the Canadian content because we have the USS Vancouver, which is named after Vancouver, British Columbia. And the reason I know that, that it's named after that and not the Vancouver in uh, Washington state is the shuttlecraft are all named after, I believe, neighborhoods in the Vancouver area. So there's the Kitsilano, the Fairview, the ones that I noticed anyway. Uh, and also, I don't know if uh, you caught this. I've seen a few people talking about this online. There's uh, in the mess hall scene, I think it's the character of Jet, the big uh, hunk guy from the Cerritos. Uh, the meal that he's eating is a plate of poutine. So there's some more Canadian <gasps> I did not content. notice that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I could give some poutine right now. That sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I didn't pick up on that. That's really cool. So that's so it's basically the American ship visiting the Canadian ship. I like it. I like it. And the Canadian ship is bigger and more impressive. And runs better. Hmm. <laughs> what is that trying to say? <laughs> well, to be fair, the Americans also have like the Enterprise out there somewhere. So, you know. <laughs> I guess so. But the Enterprise isn't named after a U.S. city. So No. No. <laughs> But I think there is a city or a town somewhere called Enterprise. I'm trying to remember where. Is it Alabama? There might be a few of them. Anyway, I know I've seen one. And anybody who lives in a town called Enterprise, let us know. It might be interesting. So uh, it starts off with a tour of the ship. Our captain's taking a tour. And they find this alien race uh, in the conference room. And they're saying that, you know, they don't care about 
you know, blowing up the moon. And if, you know, they, some of them worship it, they have all different ways of looking at this moon. It's so important to them. And there's something I thought that was funny about it. Uh, well, especially at the end where they said, oh, it's the government. They made it all up to control us. <laughs> <laughs> that line was a little too real. <laughs> I gotta say, it was like, oh man, uh, because you know, that would happen. We now know that that would happen. There would be people, yeah, moons can't plummet. That's all just a government conspiracy. That's not a real thing. Worldwide pandemics, those aren't real. That's just a government conspiracy to, I don't know, track you or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kind of jump ahead, though, because one thing I really love about this in a later scene is that they're all still arguing. And Captain Freeman's in there saying, you do this and you do that, as if, you know, she's going to tell them what to do. And you expect them all to go, no, no, no. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay," And they all leave the room. (laughs) Yeah, that's reasonable. (laughs) We'll allocate a few hundred tons of, of moon dust for you to get you guys to worship. We'll install some gravity systems for the farmers. It'll all be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think Picard did that well in any negotiation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's funny. And and this came up a little bit last night as well in the, in the live show, but I was thinking that, you know, we have the captain of the Vancouver who's all high and mighty and like, Oh, maybe one day you'll be in command of one of these great ships. And like, Oh, but it's really Captain Freeman that steps up and, and the captain yeah. of Vancouver just kind of disappears. Freeman negotiates all of this and gets it all settled by the end. Like she's, she should be commanding a ship like this. She's that good. Yeah. And you know, we never did get a name for that captain, did we? I don't think so. No. Not okay. that I recall. Well, it's a Canadian ship. I'm going to call the captain, Captain Gunther for now. <laughs> okay. I'll, 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 I'll take it. <laughs> That's in my head canon. <laughs> <laughs> Ineffective, not really useful. Yeah, okay. Oh, wait, no, wait, no. I don't want to go there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'll call the Captain Captain Gibson then. No, that's the no, case. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we we find Boimler. He's got a girlfriend. Ooh, has a girlfriend. <laughs> had a girlfriend. He met her like a month ago. Ooh, he had a girlfriend. And I'm just thinking like, I don't know what your first impression was, but I was just almost like Mariner. I was like, Boimler has a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny online. I have seen some people saying that this episode is a little mean spirited towards Boimler on the part of, of Mariner. I I, I have kind of a different opinion. I don't think it's being mean spirited. I think it actually, by the end, we see how much Mariner actually really cares for Boimler. Uh, but there is a lot of kind of ribbing of Boimler that like, oh, he can't have a girlfriend this hot who's a lieutenant. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It must be a changeling infiltrator or an android or something like that. I, I can see how that would come across as a little mean. But, uh, you know, I think honestly, when it comes down to it, it comes from a genuine place of Mariner worrying that Boimler's going to be taken advantage of and that you know he's going to get hurt by this so i i don't know i i was a little more forgiving i think than some people were yeah i haven't even read anything online so i don't know what people think and and you know my initial impression of boimler has a girlfriend isn't that i don't think boimler could have a girlfriend not at all i mean everybody can have a significant other it's just that 
he's everything he tries to do seems to always backfire so that was more of my reaction like wow he was able to actually manage to get a girlfriend because i would think every time he would try to do something like that it would just backfire on him. so <laughs> which he kind of has happened in this episode too you mm-hmm. know yeah absolutely but, yeah barbara benson yeah she's, she's a lieutenant <sighs> she's a lieutenant she outranks them and a wonderful guest star for Lower Decks as well. So Gillian Jacobs, who, of course, mo- a lot of people would probably know as Britta from the, the television series Community. She's done a lot of other things. That's just where I know her personally from. And and yeah, I thought she was wonderful in this. What a what a really cool guest star for the show. No, I, I did too. Like when I was watching, I was like, that voice sounds familiar and I'm really liking who's doing this and yeah i was i I had a feeling it was going to be somebody i might know not personally but know (laughs) of (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i i I like this character i hope we get to see her come back again i mean we're kind of jumping all over this episode we can go through the whole episode scene by scene but i kind of like to jump around because a lot of times when we talk about a scene it makes me think about something that happens later and i kind of just want to focus on the barbara brinson character because even though Mariner thinks she's out of his league and she would never be interested in it, to your point in what you're reading online, it's like, well, really? Come on. I mean, just because you think that she went like Boimler doesn't mean she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I've had girls out of my league like me kind of, no, not, never. Okay. Forget that then. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. There was that one. Oh, wait. That was a joke. No, she didn't really. Not. Oh. Anyway, uh, no. Well, no, I did meet a girl that was out of my league, and I married her. Oh, very nice save. Nice save. Good good show. (laughs) Me too. Me too, by the way. Me too. We have a lot in common, don't we? We so do. (laughs) I even have a co-host that's out of my league. It's just incredible. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I want to meet this person. I feel like I'm in a Lower Decks episode right now. But I have to say... The one part that kind of grossed me out was all the kissing that Brad and Barbara were doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the little kissy faces, too. Like, not even just the kissing, but when Brad's kind of... Bradward, I should say, is doing his little kissy face. You know, I'm just like, ugh. It (laughs) it gets a little bit much. But, I mean, that's what it's meant to be, right? Like, ugh. (laughs) Or boing, boing. My little boing, boing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and and what about the i'm gonna call it again i haven't been reading online but i I've seen people are calling it the the geordie bear i have seen it referred to as that somewhere but yeah the little geordie teddy bear with the visor on is so cute <laughs> have to have that have to have that. yeah someone's gonna or, do or there's that already out sure. there maybe someone's already done it maybe this was a call to that that could be i could see that being a thing for sure we see a lot of visors in this series on mm-hmm. crewmen and now teddy bears. Yep. <laughs> you know, visually impaired teddy bears. Yeah. At a time where Jordy's no longer using a visor. So uh, then we have Jet. You know, Jet. I may change my handle to Admiral underscore Jet. <laughs> He's the second coolest crew member on the Cerritos. Yes. He used to work together with Barbara, or as he calls her, Barbasaurus Rex. Maybe I should change my handle from Admiral underscore Rex to Barbasaurus underscore Rex. 
There you go, yeah. I'm not going to lie. When he called her Barbasaurus Rex, I thought, oh my gosh, I hope she, in a later season she gets promoted to Admiral, and then I'll just say my handle was named after her. <laughs> well, it's funny, after she's called that, you know, one of the things that Mariner thinks she might be is this reptiloid thing with a barb on her tail. So I was like, ooh, is this a little bit of foreshadowing, that Barbasaurus Rex thing? But uh, no, that does not seem to be the case. But uh, Barb is a little too great. Mariner just thinks she's just a little too perfect. And so because of that, yeah, why would she be interested in Boimler? He's a mess. Let's go to Tendi and Rutherford. So they love the smell of ships. You know, they go around smelling ships. And they met with Ron Descent, who is the person they're reporting to on the Vancouver and they're, they're, they're given an assignment to find alternatives to implosions. And, you know, they're really excited about these T-88s. That's like the big candy in this episode. <laughs> yeah. And if you'll notice, the T-88s all have a purple stripe on them, just like those fancy new tricorders, right? So, you know, that's, that's the good stuff in Starfleet when you have the equipment with the purple stripe. <laughs> now, he tells them, you know, the first one who gets all their work done gets to keep they're two, T-88, and they get all excited. Mm-hmm. And then later in the episode here, so I'm jumping a little later in the episode, he's like, great, well, you both got done at the same time, so it's a tie, so you both get to stay on the ship with your two with your T-88s. And they're just like, wait, what? Wait, I thought we could take our T-88s over to the other ship. No, 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 so you get a T-88 to use here, which I don't think he said that. That was, he, he dropped that on them. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, his whole scheme is basically he wants them to transfer to the Vancouver and he wants to transfer to the Cerritos. And we also learn, of course, that his full name is uh, Lieutenant Commander Ron Emanuel Docent. So he's uh, very haughty and, and this kind of thing. But his whole thing, and I, I thought this was kind of interesting, was that he doesn't want to be epic anymore because on the Vancouver, they're always doing things like towing a starbase or powering a Dyson sphere or uh, going back in time and killing the guy who's worse than Hitler. They're doing all the like crazy big enterprise type missions. And he's like, I just want to be on a quiet ship where, you know, nothing really big happens all the time and that sort of thing. I I thought that was kind of a little bit of funny commentary. Overall, though, I have to say this subplot, I wasn't as connected to it as I was to the other two plots in the episode. I I love seeing Rutherford and Tendi together. I think they're a lot of fun. I really like how they play off each other. But this storyline, I was kind of like, I don't don't know. I wasn't really connecting to it that much. Yeah, same here. There wasn't a whole lot there. I mean, they like working on the ship and they're just ooing and aahing about working and and being on the ship and the ooing and aahing about t-88s and then we get to this end and you know they they're they're like okay we don't want to serve on the vancouver we'll just have to tell him that uh we decline and you know they're afraid well what if he gets pissed but oh professionals don't get pissed (laughs) and of course he does which is funny because i remember thinking when they said that i was like he'll probably be very supportive because remember in that previous episode where Rutherford was changing departments and they were like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, you should go. I thought this guy would be the same way, but it was the opposite of that. Because like you said, he wanted to be on the Cerritos himself. Yeah, and I like how they set up that joke over the last few episodes, basically, because you know all the other people are like, what are you saying? 
oh, I'm totally supportive or you're going to what? Well, you got to follow your dreams, blah, blah, blah. And then in this case, it's like, what? And, but he's, he's actually mad. He stays mad. And you're like, oh <laughs> crap. I was expecting that, that reversal. Going back, let's rewind a little to the Mariner and Boimler and the Barbara Perfect girlfriend storyline. So Mariner's still convinced she's got to be something like a secret alien or she starts mouthing all these different things. But you know what my favorite thing was that she said was that she's probably one of those sexy people in rompers that murders you just for going on their grass. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That was one of my favorite references in an episode that is just chock full of references. This, this one has so many references, uh, basically to every single series, uh, that, you know, pre discovery series, has a reference in this episode. You, you can pick out original TNG DS9 Voyager. They're all, and Enterprise, they're all there. So uh, I, I did love that one, you know, to a first season TNG episode. That's wonderful. Yeah. And that episode is called Justice. And, you know, that one really stood out to me because a couple of years ago, I was on an episode of the Ready Room podcast and I don't know how it got chosen. I had a feeling I had something to do with it. But anyway, I I had to watch it a couple of times. (laughs) And you know what? To watch the episode and then watch it immediately again, two times in a row, is a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) So every time I think of Justice, I think of that recording and watching it twice before I went on the show. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there, there are good moments in it, but overall, that would be a tough one to watch a couple times in a row for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, Dan, didn't you cosplay as that once? Didn't you wear a romper? <laughs> I very much did not. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I mean, I would be, I would be highly impressed uh, to see like people committing to that cosplay at a convention. I think that would be really impressive. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the Star Trek version of toga parties. They can have a (laughs) romper party. You need a lot of two-sided tape to keep those costumes where they're supposed to be, I think. Uh, And then we have a flashback for Mariner. Okay, you had to geek out over this because there's Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So I have a new desktop background on my computer (laughs) at the moment, and it's the USS Keto docked at Deep Space Nine. So yeah, we see Deep Space Nine, which is really cool, but we also see the Keto, which is an Olympic class starship, like the USS Pasteur from All Good Things, which marks the first time in this series we've seen, uh, other than the Klingon Bird of Prey, you could argue, uh, so federation ship uh, certainly uh the first time we've seen a classic design that was originally a model or whatever in one of the previous shows shown as in this animated environment so i i think that's a big deal as well i think that's pretty cool yeah i was surprised to see that i was very happy to see that as a matter of fact and and nothing here by the way i'm just going to point out looks 25 percent different to me <laughs> <laughs> good point <laughs> Including the uniforms, because mm-hmm. we saw the movie era, I guess. What are those uniforms called? Because I know they wore them in Deep Space Nine, but yeah. TNG movie era. I tend to call them the first contact uniforms because that's where they first showed up. But, you know, I, in my in my video review of this episode, I kind of have a like moment of shock when I remember that first contact came out in 1996. And I still kind of think of those uniforms as like the new 
TNG uniforms. I'm like, wait, wait, that was 24 years ago. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) They're not new anymore. (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) No, but I know what you're saying because it is the more recent uniforms that we've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, of the TNG era. So I think kind of think of them as the new uniforms too myself, even though we've had now Picard where we've seen newer uniforms and now lower decks, I still think of those as the newer uniforms. Yeah. Well, and it's also, especially when we've been reading the post nemesis novels, they're still in those uniforms. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I like that they bring up data's brother and the Borg. That yeah. Cool. Nice little reference there to uh descent part one parts one and two, uh, you know, Data's brother, can you believe that he teamed up with the Borg? No way. It's like a new adventure every week with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I like Mariner's hair was different, much bigger, mm-hmm. much more shape to it. It was like a different era, you know? It made me start to wonder, how old is Mariner? and How long has she been serving in Starfleet? Yeah. It's a good question because, you know, we've seen a few times now that like she has a lot more experiences than we realize. She's been promoted and demoted, not just in the last episode, but before in previous years of service. So yeah, I'm curious how long she's been in Starfleet. I've seen people speculating online. I I don't think we have enough information yet based on the uniforms and her being at deep space nine, that could even just have been last year because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the series takes place in 2380. Those uniforms were in service in 2379 when nemesis takes place. So that doesn't tell us a lot. So yeah, definitely. It could be just a year earlier. It could be five years earlier. Yeah. We really don't have a, an idea of when I would think though, because her hair looks different like that is to imply that it's been some time more than maybe a year, but Mm -hmm. I I don't know. But I I do like then that uh, she's there with that other couple and they're talking and this, Oh, that guy is so perfect. And he turns out to be a shape changer and starts attacking. And that's why she's so paranoid about Boimler because here's this girl and she's perfect. And, this same thing could happen here, like what happened on DS9. And uh, so that has some motivation behind what she's doing. Yeah. And and again, I think it really comes from a place of caring for Boimler and worried that he's going to be taken advantage of. Because, you know, it does come across as a little condescending, but I, th- I think her heart's in the right place. And I think that's where the warmth of these characters ultimately comes from. And then, of course, Boimler's starting to freak out and starting to worry about his girlfriend over there with Jet. And he goes in that room where it's like a stellar cartography type situation or whatever and it's bumbling through. I didn't really care for that scene that much. You know, usually when I'm taking little notes, I just like made one little comment just to remind me of that scene. But there was nothing that did anything for me. Yeah, a lot of this stuff with Boimler is a little bit cringy, I think. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm feeling bad for the guy, but like he's so self-sabotaging that uh, yeah, it, it, he doesn't come across well in a lot of those scenes. And then when they go into the their version of Ten Ford or the bar or whatever we're going to call it, he's in his new really cool outfit or what he thinks is cool that he gets made for him in a boy's small size or size small <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> And uh, he's trying to impress. And I love how she, how uh, 
Barbara Benson is there any it's like you are what are you doing like you're ruining everything you're annoying and she doesn't ha- understand how somebody so sexy like him that really like came in and really kind of turned her on at first can be doing all these things and you're like she still sees so much into him as a sex symbol even when he's messing things up yeah and i love that like that outfit does it for her you know <laughs> she's like you walked yeah. in here all sexy as hell and then you ruined it <laughs> <laughs> and mariner's like sexy as hell well now i know there's something wrong here <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah and then of course she's yeah she knows something is wrong so she goes to get some of Barbara Benson's hair, a clip of it. And she clips some hair and she goes, <gasps> and Barbara's like, hey, did you just pull my hair? <gasps> did you just, and she turns to some officer walk, but did you just pull her hair? Yes, yes, he pulled your hair. Like trying to get out of it, you know? So it's funny seeing her even trying to struggle and trying to get her ways, trying to figure out, is Barbara really an alien or some kind of parasite in her or whatever? Yeah, and and she's getting a little frazzled too. She's got the dark circles under her eyes. She's she's really freaking out over all this. Yep. And of course, Boimler's freaking out outside of the shuttlecraft when he hears Barbara and Jet in there, and he thinks that they're having sex. And she's like, "Is this what this is all about? You think I've been cheating on you?" And 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 uh, Mariners goes and pulls her pants out. Watch out for the tail, you know, expecting her to be a reptoid. And it's just, it's starting to get crazy at this point. And she finds the exoskeleton husk, which makes her think, that's it. Barb is a parasite. But now she's got to go and find them and walk in on Boimler, who is naked, which we've seen that in previews and trailers for this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do love the little censored bar. I think that's a really funny moment for sure. Then we find out that Barbara thinks that Mariner may have a parasite and vice versa. And they start fighting it out as Boimler is knocked out, passed out on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. So this is kind of the moment where I'm I'm thinking, because some people have been wondering, was Mariner under the influence of the parasite that Boimler has as well? Like, is that why she cares so much about him? And I don't think so. I think think mostly she's just looking out for him as a friend but in this scene like this is the one scene where i'm like maybe mariner's a little under the influence of this thing as well because she's fighting so hard for boimler and and this kind of knockdown drag out fight between the two of them does make me think that maybe they're both being affected by what we learn of course the pheromones given off by this parasite that's actually attached itself to boimler making him irresistible to potential mates i think they say i would say though i disagree with you which doesn't happen all that often i don't think the parasite had any effect on mariner i think just for her history of what happened on ds9 and to her friend was her motivation for kind of going overboard with trying to to help Boimler. But I, I perceived the the parasite sending its pheromones, like it elects one person as the potential mate, is how I read that scene. Yeah, and no, like I said, I don't think I don't think it was a big influence on Mariner at all. I think it's it's her genuine friendship with Boimler, like I said, that is what's what's fueling things but that's also a really good point that you know her her trauma after having gone through that on deep space nine uh definitely i think is a part of that as well for sure okay so you don't think it had any effect on her no i i was i was just saying that like if there is any evidence of that i think this scene comes closest to saying well maybe there's something there but i think it's not that i think it's her genuine care for boimler and not wanting to see him get hurt yeah 
Which, by the way, I like the little parasite just constantly going, lover, 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 lover. <laughs> it was me. It was all me. <laughs> and then, of course, how obsessed with the parasite uh, Barb is at the end. Like, it's still yeah. working on her. She's like, ooh, I can't wait to study this little parasite. She's just, like, <laughs> g- looking at it with gaga eyes. <laughs> yeah, but then she breaks up with Boimler. Oh, oh. poor Boimler. So she really wasn't interested in him. It really was the parasite that made that happen. <laughs> Poor Boimler. Oh, wow. Um, one thing that, well, you know, he does pee in sinks. We did learn that, too. Yep. Yep. And uh, he shakes the egg sack of uh, of a particular alien. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of gross. <laughs> um, you know, there's an earlier scene with Mariner, which I like to call her wall of weird. Because if anybody watched Smallville, Chloe had her wall of weird of things going on in town. And, of course, Mariner has something like that. And she mentions, like, even wondering if Barb's a Sullivan. Yeah, there's so many great references if you pause on that board. But, yeah, Sullivan, another. there's two Enterprise, at least two Enterprise uh, references in this episode, which I think is really cool. I love seeing that show get a little bit of love. So I saved that, this wall of weird, towards the end. Because I have a feeling that you might have a little more to tell us about that wall but i don't know i i know i'm catching you off guard on this but i think we kind of studied it before from the trailer yeah just off the top of my head uh we've got uh, there's there's some binars on there there's the whales from star trek 4 is the salt creature do i yep, remember that the correctly? salt creature is yeah. on there they they mention a cardassian uh surgically altered Cardassian spy and they point to a picture of a Cardassian woman which you know doesn't really look like Seska but I'm pretty sure they're referencing Seska that to me ticks off the the Voyager reference in the episode so if people were wondering when I said they reference every single series you know prior to Discovery that's that's the closest to a Voyager one that I could find. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I I really haven't had a lot of time to look at that. I do remember when the trailer came out looking at some of that. But, you know, towards the end of the episode here, going back to Tendi and to Rutherford, I like how they're convincing Ron Docent to allow them to go to the back to the Cerritos and they blackmail him because he's being recorded from from Rutherford's implants and that he's got all recorded, so you can just give us each a T-88 to take with us. But then we end up seeing them with bags full of T-88s that they stole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I do. That's the one part of that story that I really do appreciate is the camaraderie between those two. Like, at the end when they reveal that they both stole duffel bags full of these things, and Tendi says, this, this right here, this is why we're friends. I'm like, ah, they're so sweet together. I really like those two. <laughs> you know, mutual mutual theft. That's that's a great basis for a relationship. <laughs> well, before we give our final thoughts and end this episode, there's another scene going back to Captain Freeman that I skipped over that I want to mention, and that's again her working with the aliens. And this one alien that she can't seem to satisfy that, you know, we have to move the population and he keeps murders, murders, murders. And we come to find out, wait, there's only two people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. 
And she's like, oh, forget <laughs> this. Implode the freaking moon at this point. You know? And again, the social commentary, I think, is important to, to look at. It's a little not subtle, but I, I love that. Wait a minute. There's only two effing people on your whole effing planet? Well, yeah, but we're rich. <laughs> Implode the moon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That was such a great moment. Like, I, I think that's my new favorite Captain Freeman moment. And I know there's not a lot to choose from, but I think that's like, I, I actually really liked her there. I thought that was great. I think this episode did more justice to Captain Freeman than we've had in other episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. She really actually comes across as not that great a captain in previous episodes. Uh, but in this one, I'm I'm behind her 100%. I think she does a wonderful job in this episode. Yeah, I would really like for them to play her to be a better captain than what they have. And this episode does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you're going to show any weakness in her command style i'd rather be as her command as a mother yeah yeah definitely to mariner you know and and that's where she struggles as if she's a good captain she may not be the best captain but she's a really good captain but when it comes to her daughter she's just struggling Mm -hmm. (laughs) she can command a whole ship but not her daughter which i kind of play a little bit on that but i like to see her come across as a little bit of a better captain than what they've portrayed. Uh, but that being said, Dan, final thoughts. All right. Final thoughts for this episode. I I do have a hard time with the term favorite because, you know, I don't like to rank things that way. However, I do think I have a new favorite episode. I loved oh, wow. this episode from the, the character moments between our main characters and stuff all the way through to like all of the references. And I know, you know, that's kind of just icing on the cake. That's not the main point of a, of an episode. Uh, I, I loved all the references and I mean, I have to admit the little, the little fan heart in me at seeing deep space nine. I, that was so cool. Uh, but yeah, no, all around, I, I think this episode has a really great guest star. I think it has great performances and moments by the, our main characters and you know, it was also fun to see kind of the wider Starfleet a little bit and get a little bit more building of the the Federation at this time and, and what's going on. And even the C plot, I think, with the with the aliens and imploding the moon and the the dealings of the captain was definitely a highlight as well. The B plot with Tendi and Rutherford, I think was not as good as the rest of the episode, but it still highlights this really great relationship between those two characters. So, you know, I really appreciated that. Uh, for a sort of deeper meaning of the episode, I think it, it, it's a bit of a simplistic one, but I think it's a little bit of the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, that's kind of obvious with the Tendi and Rutherford story. You know, they are in love with the Vancouver and they even get handed the opportunity to go over to the Vancouver, but they realize, no, you know, I want to be on the Cerritos. I want to be with my friends. My friends aren't over there and it may be cool to play with this new fascinating equipment and all that stuff. But, you know, I prefer to stay where uh, my friends are and, and where things are good. And, you know, you can even put that in with the Mariner and Boimler story, right? Where there's this new crazy relationship and, you know, it's maybe seems to be too good to be true. And well, it is too good to be true. You know, it's, it's not, 
it's not all that it appears to be. You know, you're always striving for something that I don't want to say unattainable, but you're striving for something better than what you have. And sometimes you need to realize that what you have is worth it. So that's kind of what I got from this. Perfectly said. Yes, absolutely. And I think even like you were saying, you know, Tendi and Rutherford, they're looking at the Vancouver, something perfect that they want. And then we find out from Ron that it's not perfect. He, exactly, he doesn't yeah. like to be there. So, yeah, you may really want something and it may not be the right thing. Very good. Yeah, I really like the episode. I wouldn't say it was my favorite. I, I, I uh, it, you know, the further we get into this, it's going to be hard to rank. I, I don't like to rank things anyway, but I would say... I mean, I really liked it, but I also think I really am liking it because I'm getting more familiar with it and I have a certain expectation. So it's starting to feel even more comfortable to me. I used to kind of measure these episodes as to, well, how much am I laughing? And I'm looking at that less. I mean, there were little chuckles here and there, but I'm just entertained by it and I'm enjoying the stories and I'm enjoying what these characters are going through and I'm less interested in, okay, well, let me see how funny this is going to be. Am I really going to laugh a lot? And I don't feel like I need to because I'm just invested in the characters and the stories. And that's how I really felt about this episode is I'm just invested and, uh, and all the things that you said, I agree. So, yeah, it's definitely up there. I've, I really enjoyed it, and I'm really enjoying this series. Yeah, maybe it's not my favorite Star Trek series, but doesn't mean I don't like it. <laughs> I really do like it. And now we're half done it. We're half done. That's kind of depressing. Gosh, yeah. it flew by. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But now we're only five or six weeks away from Discovery, which is oh pretty my gosh. cool, too. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> well, too. guess what? We're going to talk more about that in our next episode. Ooh. So everyone's got to tune in to episode 37 for that. So, Dan, where can people find you online? You can find me online on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Productions. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me somewhere out there on Facebook. I'm Bruce Gibson. We have a Facebook group for Positively Trek. Look for that. Come in, join the conversations. And uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hope you're around for our next episode. And uh, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.